Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, and we are on episode number 303. Today's topic is Des Moines, Iowa's Clean Energy Resolution. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback about this material, please email info at theclimatereport.net. And if you would like to, uh, to see a copy of Des Moines, Iowa's Clean Energy Resolution and a related article from Inside Climate News, then email me at uh, info at theclimatereport.net. So when we left off last time, we were talking about the city. Uh, we were talking about this paragraph. It says, "Whereas the city of Des Moines, Iowa, is already experiencing the effects of climate change locally through increased temperatures, changes in water systems, extreme weather events such as the record rainfalls and flooding of uh, June 30th, 2018, the derecho of August 10, 2020, and other disruptions that threaten our economy, residents, and overall quality of life." So it's making reference to extreme weather events that cause flooding. So a couple of issues with flooding, especially if you're talking about Iowa, one is the extreme amount of uh, topsoil erosion that occurs in the, uh, the, the dysfunctional farming system that we, that we have now, the, the farming system that is controlled by agribusiness. Big business, uh, you know, whether it's Monsanto and these groups that want to sell you seeds and pesticides or whether it's the, uh, the big businesses that buy your products from you, there are few firms that control farming such as it is. Now, people can get free from that, like Joel Salatin in Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, has a, a great local farm, but he, he's really smart and hardworking, and you know it takes a lot of energy, and you have to think outside the box. And it, it can be done, but we need to provide support to our small local farmers who are at least making the effort to grow food organically. And when you grow food organically, it, 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 it is more productive than these in industrial agricultural scenarios. So in industrial agriculture, they want you to, uh, they have strange ways of measuring yield. They want you to measure yield in terms of how much you extract from the property, irrespective of the future, irrespective of pollinators, irrespective of soil erosion, irrespective of flooding, irrespective of your carbon output. So it's like, how much can you extract from this property? Whereas, you know, a more sustainable approach to farming is like, you, you can have, we could, we could be getting our food from small, biologically diverse local farms that give us tasty, healthy, nutritious, local food. And if we were doing that, one effect of that would be, is, you know, small organic local farms, they, they tend to capture the water that falls on their farms. And when they do that, they avoid flooding. Because when the rain falls on your property, is your property designed for drainage or is your property designed for hydration? That water that falls on your property is very valuable. It needs to be captured on the farm instead of drained off of the farm as quick as you can. So these are issues that are not addressed in Des Moines' plan for clean energy because Des Moines' plan for clean energy is not designed to solve 
the problem of climate change. It's designed around what our, what is industry going to sell to the city of Des Moines? Next paragraph says, whereas inaction perpetuates inequity and ensures the burdens of climate hazards will be borne by the city's most marginalized and vulnerable residents. Okay, if we want to talk about marginalized and vulnerable residents, then we need to talk about the immigrants that have to work on the farms and have to work in the meat packing houses and have to work as truck drivers, etc. If we were concerned about the most marginalized and vulnerable residents, there's a lot that we could do that that would be that would come first. I mean, for one thing, we need a minimum wage. For another thing, we need a universal basic income. For another thing, we need Medicare for all. For another thing, we need collective bargaining. We need federal and state governments to support collective bargaining so that the workers get paid well, they work under safe conditions, and they have autonomy, they have agency, they have self-determination so that they can bargain collectively against the capital interests that own the, you know, own the farms and write the paychecks. So it says here, inaction perpetuates inequity. I agree, but the actions that they're talking about here are also the, you know, it can be that inaction perpetuates inequity. It can also be that action perpetuates inequity if it's the wrong kind of action. The actions that they're talking about here are like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There's lots of action, 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 but doesn't change the fundamental political or economic system. You want to solve climate change? Show me democracy, real democracy. And I'm not talking about political theater. I'm not talking about Democrats and Republicans. The, 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 the political theater generated by Democrats and Republicans is not democracy. It is political theater that is designed to uh, create the illusion that we have a democracy. Real democracy would include democracy in the workplace. In other words, you know, strong unions that have meaningful collective bargaining rights. It would include you know, worker self-determined or self-directed enterprises, worker self-directed enterprises, commonly known as cooperatives, where you know, if you work at a workplace, you have one vote. The workplace is one person, one vote at least at the level of board of directors. It doesn't mean there's not a chain of command in the day-to-day -day activities, but the board of directors that makes the major decisions for, and some of the minor decisions for a company is one person, one vote. That would be real democracy. What we have now is not real democracy when you consider that you know, business and the economy takes so much of, of, of our time and our attention and, and uh, the, the, our public space. And if that is not democratically controlled, then we don't have a democracy insofar as the, uh, our workplaces are controlled by the golden rule. 
Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Whoever brings the money calls the shots. As long as that is what we have, then we don't have a meaningful democracy. That's why all of this action, 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 action related to solving the problem of climate change, it's going to perpetuate inequity because it is you know, just, it's just more of the same. It's not a meaningful change. It's not a meaningful departure from the, the autocratic, top-down, hierarchical system that we have to work in every day. Next paragraph says, whereas carbon-free energy resources paired with energy storage and microgrids, where feasible, are important strategies to build disaster resilience into our communities and will assist with disaster recovery and ensuring equitable distribution of the benefits of these resources is imperative to adequately prepare for disasters, particularly those exacerbated by climate change. Okay, so they're making it sound like carbon-free energy. You know, there, there is some, you can understand why there is some truth in this or, or something here that looks like it's true. Like, theoretically, Hypothetically, if I had a solar panel on my house and if everybody in my neighborhood had a solar panel, then we would be generating our electricity so that we're not depending on some remote source for our electricity. But mark my word, there are not enough solar panels in the world that there, there will never be enough solar panels to provide energy for the wasteful, polluting activities that we seem to be determined to perpetuate. There are not enough solar panels to continue to manufacture 17 million cars a year in the United States and 65 million cars a year worldwide. If we don't reduce that by 90%, it won't matter how many solar panels we uh, manufacture and install. And the same is true for windmills. We could have windmills everywhere, but it won't matter if we're still spending three, four, five thousand dollars per year per person on so-called defense. Plus, let's talk about air travel. If we think we have to travel by air across land, what's up with that? What's up with flying from Louisville to Chicago, Chicago to Atlanta, Atlanta to New York, New York to Dallas, Dallas to Denver, Denver to LA? What is up with the need to take a plane across ground that a train, you know, if it's across ground, a train can serve that purpose? Maybe it's a high-speed train, maybe it's not. But we've got all these planes, all these airports, all this jet fuel. It, there aren't enough solar panels and windmills in the world unless we reduce our air travel by 90%. Reduce, reduce air travel by 90%. Reduce new cars by 90%. Reduce defense by 
So when it talks about using carbon-free energy uh, resources like you know, solar and wind for the purpose of preparing for disasters, it's like, why do we need to prepare for disasters? When a disaster comes, what is it that we need to be able to do? When a disaster comes, what we need to be able to do, it, it, you know, hopefully that disaster minimizes the disruption to our economy because the economy is supposed to be something that delivers to us what we need. But are the powers that be in Des Moines or in Iowa or in the Midwest or in the United States, are the powers that be serious about minimizing the disruption caused by disasters. You know, when a disaster comes, what you need to do is make sure people have food, people have water, people have shelter. But for all we know, what they're preparing for is a system, you know, when a disaster comes, the powers that be can continue to make money. So, you know, what is the economy designed for? Is the economy designed to deliver vital goods and services to people, or is the economy designed to, deliver, to, to continue the money-making machine for the very rich and the oligarchs? If we're serious about delivering food, water, and shelter, and meaningful jobs to people, then that is, has little or nothing to do with solar panels, windmills, electric cars, microgrids, and battery storage. If we're serious about designing an economy that delivers what people need and want, then we're going to make democracy, we're going to put democracy at the heart of that economy. Right now, we don't have a democracy. We have an economy that is controlled by the 1%. And we have an economy that is not designed to deliver healthy food, clean water, or education or health care to people who need it. So let's design our economy to deliver to people what they need and want and stop, you know, stop trying to sell stuff and call it some sort of altruism. Next paragraph says, whereas the mayor has pledged to uphold the Paris Climate Agreement, is the interim president of local governments for sustainability and has established the Task Force on Sustainability, which seeks to commission a comprehensive climate action plan to attain greenhouse gas reduction goals. And whereas Guide DSM and Plan DSM, so Guide DSM is Des Moines Strategic Plan, it says, whereas Guide DSM and Plan DSM commit the city to foster sustainable communities and the city has pledged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 28% by 2025, further demonstrating this commitment by enacting the Energy and Water Use Benchmarking Ordinance and initiating a climate and adaptation planning process, 
And I'm, I'm like, okay, it says here that, you know, we're supposed supposedly fostering sustainable communities. You know, can you have a sustainable community without a meaningful change in transportation? And I, when I say meaningful, I mean revolutionary. We need a revolutionary change in transportation. We need revolutionary changes in the delivery of health care. And it, it doesn't mean the government is micromanaging everything. It does mean the government occupies the commanding heights of the healthcare industry in favor of people. We need a revolutionary, we need a revolution in how we deliver food. We need a revolution in how we grow food. We need a revolution that, nonviolent, peaceful revolution, but we need a, re a revolution whereby people have self-determination. People are able to call the shots in their lives, at least collectively. People can call the shots and not be dominated by a privileged few. The next paragraph says, whereas a host of solutions exist to provide reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy while reducing demand and emissions, including but not limited to solar, wind, energy storage, geothermal, biomass, energy efficiency, demand control technologies, carbon sequestration, waste reduction, water systems technologies, and tree planting. So, you know, I look at all this stuff and say, does the average citizen understand this? Now, the average citizen is capable of understanding this, but are they enfranchised? Are they empowered? Are they part of the solution? Do they have enough time off work to meaningfully participate in the governments of the, the governance of the city of Des Moines or their communities? So for Des Moines to have a meaningful plan for clean energy, it would need to be something that average people get to participate in. And people aren't going to participate meaningfully if they are always beat down and disenfranchised and sick and tired and excluded and shut out. So when it says we're going to provide solutions like solar power and wind power and energy storage, does the average citizen have a chance to evaluate how that is going to impact their community and their lives? Does the average citizen have the opportunity to evaluate the, the supply chain of solar panels and the impact of solar panels on the people that have to do the mining? Does the average citizen have an opportunity to evaluate the supply chain of windmills and determine whether that supply chain is ethical? And I'm not talking about knowing all the details. I'm not talking about everybody being a technocrat. I'm talking about, do we have veto power on the purchase of materials that we consider to be unethical? When it talks about energy storage, energy storage 
involves lithium ion, at least the current state-of-the-art battery technology is lithium ion batteries. Lithium ion batteries involve the extraction of lithium from salt flats in different parts of the world, but about half of the world's lithium comes from Bolivia or Chile or Argentina. There are regions in the Andes Mountains called salt flats that tend to be rich in lithium. Lithium mines are destructive to the lives of people and whole people groups in Bolivia, Argentina, and Chile. So does the average citizen of Des Moines or Louisville, Kentucky have the right to veto a purchase of energy storage systems that they consider to be unethical. If we could bring about that, it would be a different world. We are getting rolled over and bowled over by businesses who come into our community and have their way. They have their way with our labor. They have their way with our air quality. They have their way with our water quality. They are able to dominate markets in a way that we don't have very much consumer choice. We need veto power. Call it, if you will, local sovereignty. We, the people of Louisville, or we, the people of Des Moines, need to be able to say no to a business that just wants to come into our community and have their way. And it's a simple question. Does this business, is this business ethical? Is this business moral or immoral? If we look closely at Tesla, for example, some of us would conclude, I've certainly concluded, that you know, Tesla is the one that makes electric cars and they make electric batteries, the lithium-ion batteries. So if people had an opportunity to evaluate whether Tesla is ethical or unethical, moral or immoral, maybe, just maybe, many of them would conclude that Tesla is an unethical, immoral business, and we're going to say no to buying Tesla products until you get your act together. And you can say the same thing about McDonald's, Starbucks, Home Depot, all the big box retail stores, all the little national retail chains. You can say, if you've already got a business in our community, fine. That gets grandfathered in. But no new fill-in-the-blank, no new McDonald's or Taco Bell or KFC, whatever it is, until we are satisfied that you have an ethical and moral business, including your supply chain, including your treatment of animals, including the mining that people have to do, including how you pay workers, and, and not just in your company, but if you're contracting with other companies that are treating people in a way that is unethical and immoral, we get the right to say no to you doing business in our community. We get the right to say no to our 
city government buying your products. So in this paragraph, it mentions several types of energy generation. One is solar power, wind power, geothermal, biomass. Let's talk about biomass. What's called biomass is, is scandalous. I'm not saying all biomass is bad all the time, but it's like, you know, biomass is a, a word for, it usually means taking trees, chopping them up and burning them you know, as if that's renewable. And in fact, the Obama administration declared that biomass is renewable. So, you know, a, a tree takes 50 or 100 years to renew. Chewing up a tree, just because the tree grows back very, 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 very slowly, does not mean it's renewable. In fact, you know, when you cut down a tree, you're removing habitat. Let's talk about the benefits of a tree. A tree provides habitat for wildlife. A tree provides filtration for water. If you have enough trees, it can, um, com it can combat desertification. Like an absence of trees is a prescription for turning your area into a desert. Not always, but it has that effect. You know, so trees help provide clean water and abundance, uh, abundant water. It's good for the water cycle. It, trees cool the air. We in Louisville and in most cities have a, uh, an urban heat island, so trees cool the air. Plus, trees, when they're allowed to grow, absorb carbon. So trees have many benefits, but biomass usually means you're chopping down trees and burning them. Not sustainable, not clean, not green, and sometimes it's subsidized with your tax dollars. So this is why the average citizen of Des Moines or Louisville or wherever, the average citizen, at least operating as a collective body, needs to have veto power over you know, businesses that get to locate in that community or products that the city government buys. As long as we are chopping up trees just so we can burn them for fuel, there is no hope for the climate and there is no hope for the biosphere. And yet this kind of thing is being pawned off as something that you ought to get behind because it's clean and green. I'm starting to think that the world's biggest charlatans of the 21st century are those who want to sell you something clean and renewable and those who want to sell you something green. Most of the, these technologies are anything but clean, anything but green, anything but renewable. Also in this paragraph, it mentions carbon sequestration. So carbon sequestration means taking carbon out of the atmosphere and storing it. So, you know, carbon sequestration means two radically different things. It can be done by trees and even grasses, or it can be done by some device that doesn't exist yet. If we're interested in carbon sequestration, fine. Let's stop chopping down trees and let's change our farming system 
so that we have small, biodiverse, local, organic farms that have trees on them. We could grow a great deal more of our food from trees, but that's another conversation. I've got a few seconds left. Let me leave you with something to think about. Most of what they're trying to sell us that's supposedly clean is anything but clean. Most of what they're trying to sell us that is supposed to be renewable is anything but renewable. We need to scrutinize what our local governments are doing because for the most part, they're just trying to lead us, lead us down the garden path. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 304. Today's topic is Des Moines, Iowa's Clean Energy Resolution. This is part four of a four-part series. If you would like the other three parts, please email info at theclimatereport.net. So we're partway through reading and commenting on Des Moines, Iowa's Clean Energy Resolution. And we get to the part where it says, whereas a host of solutions exist to provide reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy while reducing demand and emissions, including but not limited to solar, wind, energy storage, geothermal, biomass, energy efficiency, demand control technologies, carbon sequestration, waste reduction, water systems technologies, and tree planting. So they just named 10 different things that they can do to reduce demand and emissions while providing reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy. And each one of those is problematic in its own way. Solar is problematic. I mean, solar has a supply chain. Solar requires metals, um, you know, not least of all lithium that has to be, you have to go to Bolivia or someplace like, you know, Bolivia or about half of the world's lithium is in Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina, a triangle there. But, you know, but the one I really wanted to talk about is biomass. You know, biomass means different things, but not least of all, it means chewing up forests and uh, burning the wood chips. Now, is that sustainable? Hardly. Is it renewable? Hardly. Is it clean? Hardly but it gets grouped in under the heading of clean energy and the Obama administration decided to categorize biomass as a renewable source of energy. And as such, it qualifies for subsidies. So we are subsidized, the taxpayers are subsidizing the process of chewing up forests, burning the wood chips, and quite often shipping the wood chips to other countries so they can burn them. So w when it comes to biomass, I say just stop. And when it comes to clean energy, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that the biggest charlatans of the 21st century include those that are trying to sell us clean energy. I'm not saying, 
I'm not saying everything that's called clean energy is bad. I'm saying there is a lot of foolishness going on in the name of clean energy. And city after city after city is adopting a resolution like this, which is well-intentioned, of course it's well-intentioned, but also extremely problematic. The devil is in the details. Another problematic term in this list is carbon sequestration. So sequestration means hiding something. And carbon sequestration is when we suck the carbon out of the atmosphere and store it so that it's not available as a greenhouse gas. Now, there's a, there are, carbon sequestration can mean two entirely different things. One is human inventions that sequester carbon, and the other is natural processes that sequester carbon. So if we're talking about using trees to sequester carbon, I'm all for it. But if we're talking about inventing something that supposedly takes the carbon out of the atmosphere and stores it underground, I say that is like, I'll believe it when I see it, and I don't want public money to be heavily invested in speculative technologies because it's just a formula for pork barrel. It's a formula for somebody to make a lot of money pretending to solve a problem while not really solving the problem. On the other hand, if you're talking about using forests to sequester carbon, I say let's do that. But in order to do that, you have to say just you have to just say no to deforestation. So deforestation happens for many reasons. Sometimes it's for timber, sometimes it's for biomass, sometimes it's for mining. Sometimes it's for building roads. Sometimes it's for building new buildings. Sometimes it's for building new pipelines. Deforestation occurs for many reasons, and we need to just say no to deforestation. We need to stop deforestation like yesterday. Because for one thing, when the forest is being taken away, it almost never benefits the average person. It almost never benefits the public. It almost always benefits only a very small group of people who happen to be making money off of timber or who happen to be making money off of mining or who happen to be making money off of building roads and pipelines. You know, the reason we have a problem with climate change is because we have allowed far too much activity that benefits a very few people, and we have constrained the public from exercising veto power over anything that these big companies do. The public should have veto power. There should be multiple bodies that should have veto power over deforestation. You know, the locality should have veto power. The county should have veto power over deforestation. The state should have veto power over deforestation. Such that if anybody exercises their veto power, then the forest stays because somebody thinks that it's not good for the public or for future generations to cut down these forests. 
There's an article in the Des Moines Register in 2016 that says Iowa is losing millions of trees and it's hurting water quality, experts say. So it says, Iowa's thirst for new farmland helped drive the loss of 97,000 acres of woodlands in just five years, a new federal report says. So 97,000 acres of woodlands in five years. Iowa is losing woodlands fast. If, you want, if we're concerned about carbon sequestration, we will put a halt to the deep to you know large-scale deforestation we will also encourage a type of farming that includes trees trees can be included in farmland you know trees grow valuable things including you know apples walnuts hazelnuts chestnuts are just a few of the things that grow on trees and you know Iowa could be growing a lot of trees as part of a system of agriculture that actually produces actual food. But instead, we have a system of agriculture that produces a lot of crap, not least of all genetically modified corn for ethanol, genetically modified corn for high fructose corn syrup, genetically modified corn for animal feed, it's important to be able to feed animals, but we can feed animals much more sustainably than they do it on these darn concentrated animal feeding operations. Let's go to the next paragraph. It says, whereas new and existing buildings must play a key role in reducing energy demand through smart building technologies, grid interaction, electrification, and efficiency with residential, commercial, and industrial energy using a usage accounting for 73% of Des Moines greenhouse gas emissions in 2017. In other words, they're saying most greenhouse gas emissions come from buildings, residential, commercial, and industrial, as opposed to coming from whatever farms may be in Des Moines or uh, the transportation in Des Moines. I, th I think that's a, you know, a, a misleading calculation. Not that it's incorrect, but it doesn't account for the greenhouse gas emissions attributable to things we consume, such as food and electronics and automobiles, etc. You know, the manufacture of an automobile is a hugely carbon intensive uh, affair. But this paragraph focuses on buildings, and I say, can we talk about buildings that should not be built? There are some buildings whose ultimate purpose is so nefarious that they should not exist. So this includes concentrated animal feeding operations. This includes anything dedicated to new fossil fuel projects. This includes new parking lots. This includes new roads. This includes new pipelines. This includes uh, buildings that are dedicated to the military. I'm sorry, but the military doesn't defend us. It needs to be reduced by 90%. We have 2 million soldiers on active duty and in the reserves. It is absolutely ridiculous for us to have that many soldiers, and it's ridiculous for us to be paying $750 billion a year on defense when we know that this has nothing to do with defending the people of the United States. It has everything to do with maintaining an empire. All due respect to the people in uniform, but you know the people in uniform 
need alternative career paths. People who are soldiers, we need to give them a path through teaching, through healthcare, through forestry, through uh, organic farming. There are lots of things that people can do besides being a soldier. We need to get our priorities straight and stop paying people to do things that are destructive. We would be better off paying people to stay at home than to pay people to do things that are fundamentally and inherently destructive or wasteful. So instead of talking about the efficiency of building, yes, let's talk about the efficiency of buildings. Let's talk about smart thermostats. Let's do some of that. But in Hart Hagen's perfect world, we start from where we are and we eliminate half of the economy. We, re we reduce energy consumption by half because we eliminate that half of the economy that shouldn't exist to begin with. This includes defense. This includes uh, manufacture of new cars. This includes the manufacture of new airplanes. And then we restructure parts of the economy that are completely dysfunctional and exist to serve capital, but not the public. So, for example, the transportation sector, it's, it's designed in a way to serve the needs of concentrated wealth. It's not designed to serve the public or the average person. The average person pays $8,000 per year to own and operate a car. That is money out of our pockets. It is money out of the family budget. And we don't even have a choice. If you want to live a normal life and go where you need to go, you have to have a car. How did we get to where we have a transportation system where you have to own a car? You don't have a choice but to own a car. We don't, you know, take some of those millions and take some of those billions of dollars per year that are spent on widening highways and put them into trains and buses. Stop widening the highways. And so you have entire buildings in Washington, D.C., in Frankfort, Kentucky, in Des Moines, Iowa. You have entire buildings that are dedicated to spending money on widening roads. Highways, highways, widening the highway. When are we going to widen another highway? When are we going to add another lane? So we continue to build things that should not be built. We continue to hire people to do jobs that should not exist. We would be better off paying them to stay at home. That's why I'm for a universal basic income. Universal basic income is walking away money. It gives you the ability to walk away from a job that you don't like, a job where you're being exploited, a job where you're having to drive too far. Biden's climate plan says, let's make it easier for people to commute. And I'm asking, why are so many people having to commute to begin with? Why are they going to, to do jobs that are invented by the owners of capital? Why do we give McDonald's and Home Depot and Starbucks the ability to decide 
what jobs are worthy and what jobs are not worthy? Do we not need to take that money and spend it on, uh, on job? Uh, do we not need to decide as a public which jobs are worthy and which jobs are not? We do that all the time anyway. We've decided that two million people need to be on active duty or in the reserves. Let's stop that because those jobs do not have a legitimate function. So the government also spends money and not only on giving soldiers jobs, but the government spends money on giving teachers jobs because we consider that to be a worthy, a worthy expenditure of public funds. And we don't say to the teacher, teacher, you need to be able to turn a profit for your employer. No, we give the teacher a job because it's worthy, it's, it's worthy work to be done. We need to have a whole lot more jobs that are created with public funds for public purposes. Let's go on to the next paragraph. It says, whereas transportation advancements, including electric vehicles, intermodal transit, and pedestrian and bicycle-oriented streets offer solutions to limit harmful vehicle emissions, reduce congestion, and support vibrant neighborhoods. So it's saying transportation is, you know, we need transportation, and the advancements in transportation include number one, numero uno, electric vehicles. Intermodal transit means when you're getting from one place to another using more than one mode of transportation, like if you take the bus to a certain place and then you take a little scooter to go somewhere else, or you take the train from one place and then, you know, get your bike off of the bus and then uh, take your bike somewhere. So that's what intermodal transportation is. And then they give lip service to pedestrian and bicycle oriented streets. But the first thing they mention in advanced transportation is electric vehicles. And I'm telling you, electric vehicles make me real nervous. Electric vehicles are going to require huge amounts of lithium. They are not that, they're not, advocates of electric vehicles will say that an electric vehicle is significantly better than an internal combustion vehicle. And I'm like, yeah, there's no, quarrel or argument with the fact that, yeah, an electric vehicle is going to be substantially better than an internal combustion vehicle. But I'm saying, hey, how about none of the above? How about people have a choice to not have a vehicle? How about we not dedicate a whole lot of carbon and create a whole lot of pollution making electric vehicles? How about instead we keep the internal combustion cars that we have and we not make a whole lot more internal combustion cars? We've made 17 million new cars in the United States this year. Worldwide, they've made 65 million new cars. We're 65 million new cars. There is no consumer product that requires as much resources and generates as much pollution as the manufacture of a new car. If we stopped 
making cars today, we would have enough cars to last us a very long time. And I'm not saying stop making all new cars. I'm saying stop making 90% of new cars. Reduce new cars by 90%. Reduce new cars by 90%. Stop churning out all these new cars. I don't care if they're electric or not. I really, really don't care if they're electric or not. Because a new electric car is a carbon-intensive proposition, and building a new car generates a lot of pollution. Building a new car commits us to needing you know, more new roads, or at least repairing the roads that we have. And I say, let's take the roads that we have, keep them in good repair, but stop building new roads. I look at an electric vehicle and say, you know, that electric vehicle needs tires just as much as an internal combustion car. That electric vehicle needs paint as much as an internal combustion car. That electric vehicle is built with aluminum. And aluminum takes a lot of energy to process. That electric vehicle has materials that make the windshields and the windows. That electric vehicle has materials that make the seats and make the frame and make the roof. That electric vehicle needs materials that makes the transmission. When you add it all together, electric vehicles require a lot of energy, a lot of carbon, and they still require new roads. We need to take our federal transportation dollars and stop widening the highways for electric cars or internal combustion cars. We need to stop transporting all of these goods. Most of the goods that we transport either wouldn't be needed or wouldn't be desired if we had to pay the true cost of them. Most of them represent crap that people wouldn't want or need if they had a choice between the life that we have now and the life that we could have if we weren't slaves to our fossil fuel-driven, energy-intensive economy. This fossil fuel-driven, energy-intensive economy does not serve our needs and interests. It serves the needs and interests of concentrated power and money that wants to continue to use our economy and our industrial system to further concentrate power into ever fewer hands. Let's read the next paragraph. It says, Whereas the city of Des Moines and Greater Des Moines community rely on Mid-America Energy Company for electricity, who is committed to a 100% carbon-free energy vision for its Iowa customers and who under Green Advantage delivered approximately 83% of its customers' energy needs from renewable sources in 2020. Okay couple of problematic terms in this paragraph. One is 100% carbon-free energy. So that's a future aspiration. We are committed in the future to getting to 100%
carbon-free energy. What if 100% carbon-free energy is not possible? And what if the path to 100% carbon-free energy just generates more and more and more carbon? And what if reducing carbon is also goes hand-in-hand hand with an economy and a political system and an industrial system that continues to kill 100 species per day. We are in a sixth mass extinction. We are in the biggest extinction event that has occurred in the last 65 million years of Earth's history and we could decarbonize and decarbonize and decarbonize some more without addressing this mass extinction event. If I were an evil genius who wanted to do in the human race, I would get them to hyper-focus on carbon and decarbonization while missing the bigger picture that we are killing the planet in a number of different ways and it's not just through global warming. For example, our agricultural system, you know, farms need not be the enemy of wildlife. Farms need not be the enemy of birds, butterflies, and bees. But our dysfunctional industrial agricultural system is the enemy of birds, butterflies, and bees. It need not be that way. But that dysfunctional system is going to continue if we focus on decarbonization and miss the bigger picture, which is a completely unsustainable use of resources, including habitat loss, including uh, pollution, pollution of all types, pollution of air, pollution of water, including overfishing and overhunting, and including invasive species. But here we are talking about 100% carbon-free energy, which is a pipe dream because every solar panel requires carbon. Every windmill requires carbon. All of this electronic gadgetry that they want to uh, use in this supposedly 100% carbon-free energy, energy system, all of it is carbon-intensive. Don't let them tell you different. Another, here's another problematic term in this paragraph. It says we're getting 83% of its customers' energy from renewable sources. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. What do they mean by renewable sources? Does that include biomass? Remember, biomass means you take a forest and you turn it into wood chips and you burn it and you call that renewable. It's smoke and mirrors. It is a stupid use of our resources, and it is stealing from the public and from future generations. Even if, you, even, even if it's on uh, private land, if you take a forest and turn it into wood chips, that is not sustainable, it's not renewable, it's not clean energy, but the federal government has characterized it, has categorized it as clean and renewable. And by some estimates, most of what's called clean and renewable energy includes biomass and it includes hydroelectric. Hydroelectric is extremely problematic 
from the standpoint of carbon, from the standpoint of greenhouse gases, because if you do hydroelectric, that means flooding an area, and you, and so you have the you know you, you take a river and you create a lake, you dam up the river and you create a lake. Well, when you do that, there's a whole lot of uh, you know trees underneath it that are decomposing in an anaerobic process that produces methane. That's a greenhouse gas. Hydroelectric is problematic. Biomass is problematic. I've got about a minute left. Let me leave you with something to think about. Before I forget, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email info at theclimatereport.net. So here's the thing. There are people that want to sell us stuff in the name of clean and renewable energy. And we haven't even talked about economic growth, but economic growth is bad news. You know, growing the economy, growing the gross domestic product is just bad news. Biomass is bad news, but people are trying to sell it to us in the name of clean and renewable energy. Hydroelectric is bad news, but people are trying to sell it to us in the name of clean and renewable energy. Do we need to reduce our carbon emissions? Yes. But these charlatans that want to sell us solar panels, and, uh, and not all of them, I mean, there are good people that do this work, but there's a way to stop, there's a way to reduce fossil fuels, and it's reducing fossil fuels. We need to reduce the total energy we consume and not just expect that we're going to be saved by more gadgets and techno fixes. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon.